0: good evening good to see each one of you well it's always a joy to come into God's presence and to worship him he's done so much for us so let's joyfully stand and worship him this evening
1: joyful joyful we adore you god of glory lord of love Hi. Fill us with the light of day. You are the one. lasting day. You are the one who takes all our sins away. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are Jesus, you are my rescue, I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I give You are giving and forgiving, ever-blessing, ever-blessed, fountain of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. You are the one who saves. You are the one who saves. You are the one it does try The curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing all through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. Praise the King. My hearts are courageous. There's a reason why the dead of made by. There's a reason why we share his resurrection. Jesus is alive.
0: you that we serve you our risen savior we know that what you have said is faithful and true and we can put our complete trust in you father
1: i of on me, Lord, I can't help but see, faithful you are. Savior, you have brought me near. You pulled me from the ashes, you have broken every curse. Blessed Savior, you have set this cast. your promises are yes and amen. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you be. Faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. Your promises are yes and amen.
0: worshiping Him, take a moment and just voice your thanksgiving to Him for how He was faithful to you today. How possibly He kept a promise and answered a prayer today. Just lift those praises up to Him right now.
1: All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire, in darkness night, you are close like no other, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, I have lived in the goodness of God.
0: Lord, you are our shepherd. There's absolutely nothing that we want or need. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh, we don't have to fear any evil because we know that you are with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies our cups overflow surely goodness and loving kindness mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we will rest in your presence
1: Of the goodness of God.
0: Amen. You may be
2: seated. Tonight we're going to be turning the corner and entering into a study between tonight and and next week. As Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, Dealing with some questions and concerns that they had concerning the spirituals. Now, as we get into this, there are a lot of different views on spiritual gifts. Most of the time, people get into topics about the tongues and such. What we want to do is we want to understand the context of him writing this. Paul is writing to a church that has become carnal, self-centered. They he's dealt with a self-centeredness with the the manipulation of the Lord's Supper, turning this love feast into something that God had never intended it to be. So in their gathering and in their worship, their worship had become corrupted. And so Paul is addressing some of the corruption and the missteps that they have within their worship services. So as he's writing to them, he's writing to them to deal with the spirituals or the spiritual ones And the use of the gifts in these services. And there'll be a discussion that he'll work through this. In there, And we'll get into it in a bit, but the word gifts in this first sentence doesn't even... It's not even there, it's the spirituals. It's a genitive and it deals with the ones that are in there, that are are gathered together. The ones that that are the spirituals... Paul wants to unlock, what does it mean to gather corporately... And to worship as the corporate body. What does that look like? And how to do it with the right focus. And what unites us together. It's the Holy Spirit that unites all of us together. The Holy Spirit is the one that that birthed the church, brought the church together, keeps the church together, and makes known the wisdom of God and empowers the church, to do one thing, to be a witness for Jesus. we got to understand, our gathering together is to encourage one another. And to be that witness, Paul would write earlier as we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that, in a clause, purpose clause, we may know the things freely given to us by God. So one of the things that that the Corinthian church had done is they had deviated for their source of existence and was now looking for their source of existence from the world and not from God. Is there a problem with that? Yeah. Because when the world starts giving you marching orders and and you act and, and define your spirituality by the world, is there a problem with that? Absolutely there is. And so the foundation is only the spiritual one can understand spiritual things. The problem is when carnality and unbelievers start mixing within the, the, the corporate church, and keep in mind, the Corinthians are coming out of pagan religion. So if they're unregenerated, bringing pagan ideas and worship styles into the corporate setting of the spirit-led church, well, is there a problem with that? Absolutely. So this, this style comes in. And this, especially as dealing with tongues, as we'll touch on in a bit, was infecting them. Paul would also write in 1 Corinthians 2:14 and 15, The natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Note, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Why? Because he's unified with the body of Christ. So the big question is, what does it mean to be spiritual? And what is the purpose of spiritual gifts as we look at this? So we've got to answer those two questions. What does it mean to be spiritual? I had a conversation with somebody on one of the uh, death calls that I went on. And in conversation, I usually try to start the conversation to find out where they're at spiritually, right? So I usually say, is there a faith leader that I can call for you? Because I don't know what, you know, what flavor they're from, right? I don't know if they're Jewish or or Christian or Catholic or anything. So I, is there a faith leader I can call for you and for this individual? It was most recently, and, and she said, well, I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church. Have you ever talked to somebody where it's like they don't have a church affiliation, they they don't go, but I'm spiritual. They use this term, I'm spiritual. Spiritual does not mean you're saved. You can claim that you're spiritual all you want. You can go hug a tree. You can worship at a rock. You can do whatever you want to do and call yourself spiritual, but it doesn't mean that you're saved. It does not define you. The spiritual ones that we'll be talking about, when we use the word spiritual in here, it's in the context of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is what is truly spiritual within this. And so he starts out in 12.1. He says, now concerning the spirituals, or the spiritual ones, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, literally the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does Paul do in these first three verses? If you look at it, what does he do? He creates a dividing line. He says, there is a distinction between those that are naming the name of Christ, and you can only name the name of Christ, if you are... Born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you cannot say Jesus is accursed if you're born again. There is a distinction, and we'll unpack that in a minute. But we got to understand your spiritual condition is based on your confession. You want to know where somebody stands spiritually? Just don't, you know, get to the point, drill down, and say if you really want to talk. And, and in context, what I do in chaplain work. When someone has died, that's not the time necessarily for evangelism or talking theology. I just need to know how to touch their heart. But if you're talking with a friend, you're having a conversation with a friend, you really want to know where they're at, drill down and ask them this question. Who is Jesus? And who is Jesus to you? And there's only one right answer. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Anything other than that, wrong answer. Not the right answer. And the focus in the church seemed to be on the spiritual person and how that spiritual person was acting publicly. And that was determining their spirituality. In other words, when they would gather in the worship services, the more that they acted spiritually, the more spiritual they were. And then it becomes what? A show. A pretense. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll you know, uh, get into this, this speaking in tongues or, or some of these other things. And all of this demonstrative activity to draw attention to themselves. And so Paul, right out of the gate, wants to define the nature of the believer. The nature of the believer that says, will say with their heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, anybody can say that, but it has to come from the heart. So he's really defining it within that. And that that person is led by the Spirit because the Spirit is the only one, as we read earlier, that gives you the ability to say Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is the only one that allows the natural man to understand spiritual things. So the natural man cannot say Jesus is Lord and really mean it from that spiritual aspect Unless he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So within this, the pagan practices were this cultic, demonically inspired mantras that, that were driven. And much of the pagan practices and the cultic activity was this ecstatic kind of language, these mantras, these chants that would go on. And they would chant around the fires and they would they would cast these spells or they would chant... Uh, these statements to try to draw down these these cultic powers and so they were trying to get these powers from whom well paul says dumb idols hey, think about that he says mute it, new american center says mute but if you look in the real it, it's dumb it means they can't speak i would rather like my translation is like they're idiots they're dumb and if you're worshipping a dumb idol, well, you become like that which you worship. But they're, they're in these mantras and in these chants, there's worshipping these idols and hopefully drawing power from these, from these idols within this. There is no spiritual power or leadership that comes from an idol, is there? Can an idol do anything for you? No. It's a hunk of stone or rock or whatever you seem to give power to. And so within this, Paul makes a distinction in this, and he says in past tense, you were pagans. You were these, these people. That's not who you are now. So stop acting like it. Stop acting like who you were. You were like these people, and you were led this way, but you're not that person now. So the one that's truly led by the Holy Spirit confesses, not with their mouth only, but with their life, that Jesus is Lord. They're fully surrendered. So if I was to ask you tonight, does your life declare a testimony that Jesus is Lord of your life? Could somebody look at your life without you ever saying a word and say, yes, they're a Christ follower? That's what your confession is. It's not what you say, it's how you live. It's how you express yourself within that. And so this true Christian would never say that Jesus is cursed or anathema, as Paul would write. Did Jews and the pagans would, why? Because they hated Jesus. In fact, it was even mentioned that in their synagogues, when Jesus was there, they would say Jesus is anathema. They hated him that much within that. Do we see that kind of hatred towards Jesus today in our world? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that we are in the last days. We are in the last days. And, and, and these days are getting worse. How do I know that? Because the offense of the cross and the offense of Jesus is growing greater. And we're seeing that dividing line. And as Christ followers, you're going to have to decide, are you, are you a Christ follower or are you not? Within that and come out of the world. And so there is a big difference between the spiritual person and the spirit-filled person. We're going to talk about that on Sunday as we take a look at Acts chapter 2 and the birth of the church and the the sending of the Holy Spirit. So you don't want to miss Sunday for sure. But the spirit-filled person is led by the Holy Spirit. The spiritual person is led by human tendencies. They say, Carrie, what does that have to do with gifts? It has everything to do with it. Because if the Spirit-filled person is led by the Holy Spirit, as we'll unpack, then your worship will be connected to the heart of God. If the spiritual person is led by human tendencies, then all worship that is done in the corporate setting is meant for your own personal edification. Do you guys get that? The spirit-filled person takes a look at the lyrics, the songs, the prayers, the gathering, all of the aspects of worship in the corporate setting, and has one focus, towards God. The person that seems to be spiritual, that is humanistic, says, all worship needs to meet my taste. The song choice needs to be the way that I want it. The room needs to be the way that I want it. The style needs to be the way that I want it. They might be spiritual, but it's from humanistic. The spirit-filled person is a worshiper. The spiritual person wants to be the one worshipped. How does that show up? In the Church of Corinth, what was happening was their worship services was, had got to a place, especially in the chaotic use of tongues... To be shown. And, and maybe you've been in some churches where that's been, and, and people will scream and yell and do all of these other kind of crazy things, right? That is not the spirit filled person. They might be spiritual, but it is not the spirit filled person because the spirit filled person does not draw attention to themselves, but they're led by the Holy Spirit and they're led into a place of unity. And a true confession. What is the confession? Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. I'm not on the throne. He is. I'm not the one to be worshiped. He is within that. So what does it look like? Well, as Paul now addresses their missteps in verses four through eleven, he wants to deal with what their practice was, as they would gather together. This church has been hasn't been around in a long time. And, and there wasn't really any formal catechism or liturgy within the church other than the gathering together for the Lord's, um, the Lord's Supper once a week. They would get together for prayer and teaching. But they would get into these events. But well, what had happened was they had started bringing in these pagan practices, just kind of bump it up a little bit, right, to make it a little bit better. And they became proud. How do we know they became Proud. Because they started bragging on their gifts. So Paul says, well, let me square you guys up a little bit. Look at verses 4 through 11. Verses 4 through 11, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but what? The same Spirit. And there's a variety of ministries, but what? The same Lord. There's a variety of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Note, underline that, highlight it. For the what? Common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually. Note, just as what? He wills. There are so many clues in proper worship and proper worship etiquette. But the one thing that is consistent is that there is one orchestrator In the diversity of the body. In the diversity of the gifts. Imagine a massive orchestra. All the different instruments. Can you imagine a hundred piece, fifteen hundred piece band playing? Who do they got to follow? One. They got to follow one. What happened if everybody just played whatever they wanted to play? Would it be chaos? Absolutely it would be. And so the one thing that Paul says, he says, there is a diversity of ministry. And there is. Not everybody has the same gifts or abilities. You are all unique. The one thing that we're going to learn on Sunday that I think is super important for us to understand is when Jesus was on earth, He was one. He would leave and send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would empower the many. For what purpose? Purpose of ministry. If you're a Christ follower and you are Spirit-filled... And you are, if you're a Christ follower, because when you're born again, the Spirit indwells in you and fills you. So if you're a believer and saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have one that will guide you, that will help you. Notice in here, from 4 to 6, the Trinitarian aspect within this. We see the same Spirit, the same Lord being Jesus, and the same God being the Father. We see this Trinitarian aspect. All three working together at one. This, this unity and diversity is huge. And that's the one principle we've got to understand in corporate worship setting. In corporate worship, when we gather in this place, or any place that you gather with believers, there is a diversity. But there must be unity. Many different voices. All led by one Spirit orchestrating all of these events. When the body of Christ gets together for the purpose of ministry, which is much more than just the corporate worship period. you know you can worship on Saturday when you're serving food for the funeral? You're worshiping when you're working down in children's ministry. You're worshiping if you're out in the, 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 the planters pulling weeds. You're worshiping when you're calling up that widow that you haven't seen in a while. You're worshiping, and all, all of those aspects are worshiping. Why? Because you're doing it for the what? Common good. If you think worship is singing songs, you are missing the boat and misinformed. The totality of your life is an act of worship. And thereby the Holy Spirit equips each and every one of us with a diversity of gifts for one purpose, the, the common good. And it's important for us to understand it's for the common good, not personal gain. Ministry is not for you. Ministry is for the other. It's the diakonos, the serving of one another. The Son of Man, as Jesus would say, did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give His life is a ransom for many. night before He died, He gathered the disciples together, took off His outer cloak, put on the loincloth, went out with a bowl, and what did He do? Wash the feet. Came to Peter. Peter said, nah, you're not going to do my feet. I don't do your feet. You had no part of me. Well, do my whole body. No, Peter, you're, you're over the top again. <laughs> Slow your roll, buddy. But what did he say after that? As I've done to you, go and what? Do likewise. Go and do likewise. Ministry is worship. Worship is ministry. They are intertwined together. They can't be separated. We have lost sight of that in this entertainment world where we think that worship is just the songs that we sing. And that is not the case. And not everyone has the same gifting or same empowerment for ministry. But we've got to understand... That God is the source for all giftings and empowerments. So you're saying, well, Carrie, what does that mean? How do I know? I can tell you this. If God gives you an unction to do something, do it. Do it. Well, how do I know if God's give, tell me to do it? I'll tell you this. Do it and then look backwards and see how you feel about it and see if the other person was blessed by it. I've had people say, well, I'm waiting for my gifting. Oh, no, you've got a gift. you got a gift. It's just sitting in the bottom of your closet. you got to get out. you got to do it. You say, well, you know, I tried ushering and it wasn't quite my thing. Okay, great. Maybe hospitality is not your gift. But, you know, there was some stuff that was broken. I really enjoyed fixing some stuff. Okay, maybe helps is your gift. Because when you find that spot, It'll be a sweet spot. It'll be the spot that you're equipped to do. And you will flourish in it. And it won't be a labor. All of these gifts are distributed, as Paul would say, by the will of the Holy Spirit. Can I pray for certain gifts? Sure, you can. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. I can tell you one that that you could all pray for right now. I dare you. I double-dog dare you. Pray for the gift of patience. (laughs) We prayed for a guy earlier this morning. But we look at this. If we realize that the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to His will and according to His choice, then number one, God doesn't make a mistake. Number two, you're fully empowered to do it. And number three, all gifts belong to God anyways. The empowerment for you to do anything or respond in any way all comes from God. Now, I got to tell you, that is such a relief. Why is it a relief? Why do you think it would be a relief if I sit back and go, okay, if all gifts and empowerment to do ministry comes from God, why is that a relief? I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to to grunt it out. It's the natural aspect that comes from the Holy Spirit working in my life. And the natural outflow. And every one of you, every one of you, has at least one gift, one ability, for the other, for the benefit of the whole. The gifts are all given, as I said in verse 7, are for the common good. Notice, but to each one... That's you. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit is not your little best buddy that is designed to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit is the empowerment, God in the Spirit that dwells in you so that you could be good for something. Because those that don't have the Holy Spirit, dare I say, are good for Nothing. Because it's all temporal. Man in his natural behavior, the best he could do is affect something in the natural. But God gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can affect something in the eternal. You guys get that? You get to encourage somebody in the eternal and in the eternal aspect, in the spiritual realm. And Paul lays down these ground rules and the ground rule is that it's for the common good. What does he mean? It's for the benefit and the edification of others. For example, tongues. It's a hot topic. If you have tongues, you have the ability to, to speak in tongues. The tongues are not for you. Now, in, in years ago, there was a book written in the 70s uh, by Chuck Smith, and it was called Charismania. Charismania. And it was this concept of everybody needed to speak in tongues, and you had to be able to speak in tongues. And you really weren't spiritual unless you spoke in tongues. I went to a church one time that was very charismatic. And they get this word charisma from this gift, and they were super charismatic. Yeah, they were all speaking in tongues, and he looked at me and he says, can you speak in tongues? I said, no, I can't speak in tongues. And they were all going off, and no interpretation, and it was just, he says, no, brother, you can speak in tongues. You just got to have enough faith. I said, what do you mean? He says, you got to loosen it up. I said, now I'm curious. What do you mean, loosen up? He just say this. Say, said, retie my bow tie. I said, what? He said, just retie my bow tie. But say it fast. Retie my bow tie, retie my bow tie, retie my bow tie. He said, eventually your tongue will get loosened up, and then the Spirit will come upon you, and it will speak in tongues. I went, you are whacked. And I was a young Christian. I think I'd been a Christian less than a year. And I just thought, man, I'm out of here. Retie my bow tie. She'd drive a Honda. She'd drive a Honda. She'd drive a Honda. No. How is someone edified by that? How is it encouraged? How does it it benefit other people? No. The purpose of every gift, and not one gift, as we're going to see in a minute, is not greater than another. And it is given by the will of God, the Holy Spirit dispersed accordingly. And the worshipers are to gather to practice or put into practice the spirituals as an act of worship to edify the whole body, not the individual. Every single person in here should be in ministry somewhere, serving somewhere. If you're coming and you're sitting and you're leaving, you're not using your spiritual gift. You say, so, Carrie, you know, I have, I have the, the spiritual gift of peace. I just come in and I bring peace. No. No. I have the spiritual gift of silence. No. It has to edify. So the problem with the Church of Corinth is, as I said, the people became prideful. They were practicing their own gifts trying to put on this show. So what is the diversity of gifts? Notice in verses 8 through 11, he says, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. There's this whole diversity. If you're taking notes, you can write down and cross-reference some of the lists. This is not a comprehensive list. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 to 11, and verse 28, also in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 are just some examples of those gifts. There is not a comprehensive list that is in here. These are just examples. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will give you the ministry gift for the purpose of other that fits that purpose. And just because you get a gift now doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to have it. Because it's fit for the time. It's fit for the season. It's fit for the person to edify others. So within this, this list that he gives to us is, is given for us to understand. The other thing that I, I want to share with you is this. This list is not to create a class system of spirituality. In other words, the person that has the vocal gifts is, no, is not any greater than the person that has the gift of helps that you never see. They're all equal. Every single one. And it edifies and builds up the whole body. For what? The common good. So Paul gives us nine spiritual gifts. The word of wisdom. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are, are spiritual gifts. This is a little bit more than just wisdom. It's wisdom and knowledge is a spiritual insight to a situation or set of circumstances that is there. And how it applies... It's a speech gift. The word of knowledge is also a speech gift. So it is understanding or comprehending from a supernatural position. In other words, the Holy Spirit will give you a a supernatural understanding of a circumstance that's going on. And then, most often, knowledge goes with it, um, how how to apply it, right? So within that, as a pastor or a counselor... I know that this is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to me often. Why? Because I can look at a situation and I can glean what's going on in a manner that is far beyond my own human capability. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the right words to say that the other person needs to hear. And they go, well, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed to know. Well, yeah. You know, God and I, we had this conversation before you got here, and he told me exactly what, no. I've had people from a a message, and they go, how did you know that's what I needed to hear? Well, it was the email that God said, no. I share. And I don't plan it, but the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and understanding and knowledge through the study of the Scripture and takes that and applies it to you, and then you hear it. And so the Holy Spirit in me is connecting with the Holy Spirit in you that is unifying the edification of one another. So when you wait on the Spirit of God for those circumstances and you say, God, I really don't know what to do. Can you pray for wisdom and knowledge in those circumstances? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. I know people that will refrain from opening their mouth until they really feel the presence of God in their speaking. That's probably not a bad idea, but within this, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. But again, it's been abused. There are those that would that at worship services and all these things, they come up and they say, "Thus saith the Lord." Or I had, I've had people come up and say, "Carrie, I got a word for you from God," and they'll tell me something like really weird, like really weird. And I'll go, "Okay, thank you." they give me a word of knowledge. You know, and, and I'll go, okay, thank you. But in my spirit, I'm not resonating with what's going on. So what do I do with it? I put it on the shelf. Because that word may not be for today, but it may be for later. I don't know. Does it discredit that gift that this person exercised? Absolutely not. Am I to judge that? No. And there are some times when people have come up and said, you know, The Lord was really speaking and wanted me to share this with you. And it was what I needed to hear. So these gifts are there for the other. And and they did it in such a way that it was a very humble spirit within that. The other aspect, he says, to another, faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is a miraculous faith. Faith is is more than just the salvation of faith. Faith. Faith is the ability to see things. The gift of faith is to be able to see things from a spiritual aspect and say, yes, God has got that. And it's that trust. You know, you think about Peter at the gate, beautiful. And he sees this guy that's looking for silver and gold, right? Alms, alms. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, right? Rise up and walk. Is that a gift of faith? To take a guy that is crippled and, and been crippled and to grab a hold of his hand and to pull him up and have him healed? Yeah, or think about Tabitha in the room full of people. Tabitha, come forth. That's faith. And there's a gift of faith that the Holy Spirit will give to people at certain times to enhance the power for the benefit of the other within that. Gift of healings. Healings happen. I know healings happen. We've prayed for them and I've seen people happen and and get healed. Does it happen all the time? No, not necessarily. In fact, it happens less than what I would like. But is it about me? No. No. I'm sure I've shared this story before. But the one that convicted me the worst was a guy by the name of Ed. Ed. And he had came to our office in in the first church I served, and he was just white as a ghost. He said, I need prayer. Okay. And so the lead pastor said, you know, come in, we're going to pray. So we prayed, we anointed him. He was telling us they found lung cancer. So are you sure? Yeah, they're sure. 100%. It was the size of a silver dollar in my chest. X-ray showed it. I'm going tomorrow to go get the MRI, and then they're going to start treatment right away. It's serious. Okay? So we pray. Anoint him with oil. We all pray. And in my mind, what do you think I'm thinking? Poor guy. This is on Thursday. On Saturday, he shows up at our men's prayer meeting. We would have prayer meetings the first and third uh, Saturday of the month. He shows up. Ed shows up. And he's just beaming. Just beaming. How did your MRI go? Did they find it? He said, no. What do you mean no? They couldn't find it anywhere. They had to have messed up. Nope. I was there all day. They looked at the X-ray, they pinpointed. They couldn't find it. The doctors didn't know what happened. They couldn't explain it. Now what happened? He was healed. He went on and stayed cancer-free for another 20 years. Not a stitch. Does God still do healing? Yep. Yeah. Does he always? No. And I struggle with that. But I understand that God does a work and he can bring that healing. And that ties in with the workings of power when God does something amazing within that. And again, I pray often for, for those gifts and for those powers but they don't always come. Sometimes. But not always. We struggle with these things. He goes on with prophecies. What is prophecy? Prophecy is the forth The forth of God's Word. Within, within the Spirit, He would give prophecy. One of the things that I do as a pastor is I prophesy. What am I prophesying? I am bringing forth the Word of God. Can I do it by myself? No. It's, it's a gift. It's an ongoing gift that God does. Can he shut the gift off at any time? Sure he could. Sure he could. Another gift that he says, distinguishing of spirits. Have you ever met somebody and you went, mm, something's not right with them. The Holy Spirit is revealing something about this person. And you're going, ah, that's. I'm going to watch this one. Spiritual discernment is a gift from God. It's more than an intuition. It is something that God gives to the believer the capacity to know eh, that's not right. Think about the demon-possessed girl that followed Paul. Knew something was off. She bugged and bugged and bugged. he finally cast the demon out. We can understand that there is a distinguishing of those spirits. Then we get to tongues. The word tongues there is Glossia. We're going to have a whole study next week when we get into tongues. And what they are. But understanding that tongues glossia is a language. It's a speech gift. And then another gift is the interpretation of those tongues. Now, there's nine different gifts. There are those that would say that the spiritual gifts were only for a certain period of time. And then they stopped. In other words, the gifts were only given to the early church to authenticate the ministry of the church... Until the written word was given, and then all the gifts ceased. Right? That's one position that a lot of people take. It just fits in the box. And then there are those that don't believe that there was a what's called a cessation or a stopping of the gifts. I personally do not believe that. I don't believe it, and I don't see it in Scripture. Am I going to debate with those that believe it stopped? No. Why? They don't want to exercise their gifts. That's up to them. I got one job. One job. Build up the body of Christ. Use these gifts for the common good. And I know them to be true. According to God's word. But they should be used in a manner that brings God glory. I think it's important to note how Paul uses his words. He uses the words to one. And then he moves to the diversity to another. And then to one. And then to another. And then to one. And then to another. another. Within this, we understand that understanding this this wisdom, this knowledge, this faith, this healing, all of these things are all done for the glory of God. You think about miraculous power. Luke chapter 4, verse 36, we see power and authority working together. And I think this is important, especially in the church today, because it's what we lack. The gift of, of, of power, miraculous power, and authority all go together. And in Luke 4:36, it says, And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. So, Carrie, okay, why are you sharing that? Because you, as a Christ follower, have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to command demons to leave. Do you realize that? Paul says, Greater is he that is in you than what? He that's in the world. But we don't act with authority. We cower and we back down and we shrink back. We have been given a gift. And, And if you take a stand, you think about Paul. Little scrawny Paul. Power and authority stood his ground. The apostles, power and authority, they stood their ground. Luke 9, 1, it says he called the 12 together and gave them what? Power and authority over what? All demons to do what? Heal diseases. Do you guys realize the access that you have to be good and to do good for others? But it requires us to move and to think of the other. Those are acts of worship. To be able to, as I said earlier with prophecy, to be able to take forth God's Word. Do you know that you can proclaim the Word of God? You say, well, Carrie, I don't know much. What do you know? If all you know is John 3.16, can you proclaim, can you prophesy, can you profess John 3.16 out there? Sure. And the more you're in the book, and the more you understand God's Word, what did Jesus tell the disciples? When they take you before magistrates and authorities... He said, What? Don't worry. In that moment, those words would be given to you. Don't think, don't take thought about what you need to say. That's power. The ability to stand up and say, I'm going to proclaim the word of God. Why? For me? No, for you. And the power of God will flow through you. I would love to take you all down to Burnside Bridge and have you start witnessing. Would you all go? Some of you are like, no. Why? Because they're scary. Not scary. They're people that need to be encouraged. Are there believers underneath the Burnside Bridge that are homeless? Yeah. They need to be encouraged. You could you could do that, you can go and do that. One of the things I did with the youth group years ago, we went on a on a, a, a thing that I called canning prayer. And so what we did, and it was kind of a weird name, it was like you know one of those stupid youth pastor things that you name something. And, but we made it. I wanted to take the youth group out, and I, I determined that all the regular neighborhoods in Scappoose was going to be prayed over. So we took the kids out weekend after weekend, and we did a canned food drive. We knock on the door. And we're collecting cans for the food bank. People would go get cans because they would always go get cans of food and bring them to us. And they bring them to us. And then I would teach the kids, before you leave, ask them if there's anything that we can pray for you for. And we walked through all of scapus, door to door, collecting cans. And you know what? The majority of the people will allow you to pray for them. And the amount of that, it's huge to be able to do that. So tongues. As I said, tongues is this glacia, it's a dialect. Now, I'm going to highlight it a little bit, but we'll get into it more next week. There are two kinds of tongues that Paul speaks of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In Acts, chapter 2, verse 4, we know the gift of tongues was first given and exercised by the disciples. It was the day of Pentecost, and as I said, we'll study it more on Sunday. But it says, and as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit would give them utterances. These were the known languages of the people that were there, the Jews that had all come in for the Feast of Pentecost, they had all come into the Feast of Pentecost from different lands. They were hearing the gospel in their own language. Could you imagine? God gives you the ability to, to speak, I don't know, Mandarin? And you've never studied Mandarin before? There's accounts of missionaries in the field that are gifted by God that are able to speak a dialect that they never studied. Fluently. And comprehended. It happens. It happens. It happened on Pentecost. That is there. That is the, the, the tongue of men within this. And so there is that gifting that takes place. The other side is the tongues of angels that Paul would speak of, the glacea of angels or the language of angels. It's a heavenly language within that. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, we got to understand that that tongue of that heavenly language is for God, it says this for, for, in 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Mysterion, that which is hidden now revealed. So, the way to d- define it is this. Prophecy is always going to be God to man. Gloseia, as it pertains to the angelic language of tongues, is always going to be man to God. It is going to be upward. And the unintelligible language always must have an interpreter. And as we'll learn next week, tongues are subject to the to the person speaking. All gifts are subject to the person that has them, to use them or not use them. The problem is when people speak in glosteia from an angelic language and there's not an interpreter present, it creates confusion. No one should speak in Glossia in this angelic language unless they know there's an interpreter there. Because then how does it benefit the whole? They can't agree with it. They can't agree with what's going on. And this is different than a private, what we would call a private prayer language that you would have on a personal level, which is a totally thing, different thing. We'll talk about that next week. Paul is addressing the corporate chaos that was going on in Corinth because everybody at one time was saying, she drive a Honda, she drive a Honda, she drive a Honda. And nobody knew what they were saying. So we've got to understand that there must be an interpreter. In 1 Corinthians 14.2, uh, or I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 14.5, um, Paul says this, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive the edifying. You guys see that? Question. Why is prophecy better than tongues? Why would Paul say, I would rather you prophesy than speak in tongues? Because prophecy is from who? God to whom? And do you need an interpreter? No. And It is a professing of the word of God to man. That's the better gift. But in a corporate worship setting, is tongues available? Yes. Must there be an interpreter? Yes. Yes, and there are some other ground rules that we'll cover next week. For example, you wouldn't want to do it in the presence of unbelievers. Why? Because the unbelievers think you're nutcases. Because the natural man doesn't discern spiritual things. So when is it best used? I can tell you this, small groups, where you know everybody, where it's appropriate, it's spirit-led, and there's an interpreter. That's when it's best used and is an act of worship. Within the tongues declare the glory of God. That's why it's important for everyone to speak forth. How do we know? Because three different times it's used in Acts that way. Acts chapter 2 verse 11. When tongues were given, says, Cretans and Arabs were here and they heard them speak, note, in our own tongues, speaking what? The glory of God. Now, in that case, they were speaking in Cretan. What, What was the message? The glory of God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46, when uh, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon uh, a group that Peter was speaking with, it says this, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues, and what? Exalting God. They were exalting God in the tongue, in that worship that was there. Paul, in his evangelism of Ephesus, Acts 19, 5-6, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So we, we look at this conversion and this, this action that is there. Is it, is it the deal? No. As Paul would say, and I would agree with him. While well, speaking in tongues is legitimate, prophecy is, the, is, is more beneficial. Because it is speaking forth the word of God that benefits both the believer and the unbeliever at the same time. And is completely understood. That is there. But lest we lose sight of what the purpose is of the gifts and get honed in. And so many people hang on to 12 in the beginning. The whole rest of the chapter is all about diversity. Unity and diversity. Look at what he says in 12 to 31. And it all makes logical sense. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink in one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, and if it's not for this reason or any less part of the body, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye... I'm not part of the body. Well, it's not for this reason that it was any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, note, each one of them in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would they be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, that would be hilarious, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which deem less honorable are these which we bestow more abundant honor on. And our our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which it lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, that the member may have the same care note for one one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. Now, if you were to go back and count how many times the word one appears, often? Very often. Why? Because he wants to stress the unity of the body, and so he uses a biological application. You are one body made up of many parts. Who designed your body? Not rocket science. Who designed your body? God. Did God consult you about how a human body should be put together? No. And if you think about the miracles of how the body is put together and how all of the parts all work intricately, you think about just the eye itself and how the eye works. And everything you see by the time it hits, everything you see is upside down. I don't know if you're right side up or upside down. And the way the cones work and the light and all of the different things all work together and on a cellular level and a microbiology. It is amazing how the whole thing is all put together. What do you pay most attention to when you look in the mirror? You're not thinking about your spleen, are you? You're not thinking about your kidney. Boy, my kidney looks good today. No, you're looking, you're looking, yeah, the missing hair. (laughs) I like that. We give preference to that which we see, but we abandon that which we don't see. Same is true in the body of Christ. Yet every part is necessary. We are one body, many parts. We are all united in the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that brings us all together. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that makes us the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Do you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we gather together, what do we have? We got to be careful. It is a great time of fellowship, and we should regard each other the same way. Through baptism, we are all brought together the same way that Paul describes the baptism in Christ. Romans six one through four talks about we were baptized into his Christ, into Christ, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When you are born again, you are you are united into the body of Christ and unified in the body of Christ. And we are interdependent. Verses 15 to 27 talks about that whole interdependence of the body. Each piece fit together. And your existence is just as important as anybody else. And when you are missing, guess what we're missing? A part of the body. When you decide to check out, you're depriving the body of Christ, your presence, and your part. Do you realize that? You are needed to make the body whole. God did not make a mistake by choosing you. God did not say, well, you know, I don't know. We can live without that part. No. Every single one of you are part of the body and necessary for the body. You are necessary to be part of the body, whether it's on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or any other time of the week. You are part of the body of Christ, a necessary part to be put together. And you say, well, Carrie, nobody's going to see me. I don't see my, my kidneys. I know they're there. How do I know they're there? They're working. And when they stop working, guess what happens? You get sick. Right? And so what happens when you stop working? When you stop fulfilling your your divine function? The body becomes what? Weak. Weak. You are necessary. And if God selects you and He has empowered you, He selected you for a place. And you are part of that body. And you say, well, I want a different part. (laughs) Be who you are and who God's created you to be until He changes it. All parts are necessary. Some are just more visible than others. But the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you anymore. How am I going to get around? I need the foot. Paul ends it up with this, verses 28 to 31. And God has appointed in his church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and then gifts, and the healings, administration, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? Rhetorical question, no. All are not prophets, are they? No. Or all are not teachers? No. Or all workers of miracles? No. All do not have gifts of, he- of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. But... Earnestly desire the greater gift. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. So many people get hung up. My gift is not that special. Your gift is what God has gifted you with. Exercise that gift. Or whatever gift the Holy Spirit gives you at that moment in time. But you all got one. And you need to use it. Why is the body of Christ so weak in our day and age? You know why? Because we have spectators and benchwarmers. We need to exercise those gifts. That's why the body is sick. That's why laws are being passed that are abhorrent to God. That's why our our children are struggling and our community is struggling, because we are not exercising our gifts as we should. And the body of Christ is weak. We need to exercise those gifts. But Paul says, but there's a better way, and I'll show you. For that, you've got to come back next week for part two. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for our time, and I thank you, God, that you've given us this teaching here that allows us to be able to see your plan for the church and how we can come together and worship. And it doesn't matter if it's Warren Community or, or the church down the street or the church around the world. We are all part of one body the church universal, the body of Christ universal, and we all have a part. May we do our part. May we function for the health of the church. And may everything that we do be an act of worship unto you. Lord, we need to put away the childish things, the prideful and arrogance of self-centeredness that we think that worship is about us, because it's not, it's about you. Holy Spirit, Convict our hearts of pride, self-centeredness. Unite our hearts together with each other. That we will worship you, Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's all stand real close.
1: the heavenly dance. Oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. I hear the sound of your voice all at once. It's a gentle and thundering noise. Oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. I delight my activated by your beauty. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you. God, I run into your arms unashamed because of mercy. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed know the power of your cross. Forgiven and free, forever you'll be my God. All that you've done is so overwhelming. I delight myself in you, in the glory of your presence. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. beautiful, oh God, there is no one more beautiful, you are beautiful, God, you are the most beautiful. You are wonderful, you are wonderful, oh God, there is no one more wonderful, you are wonderful, God, you are You are glorious. You are glorious. Oh God, there is no one more glorious. You are glorious. God, you are the most glorious.
0: May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Everyone said, Amen. Praise Jesus.
2: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.